Christian in the Campus is a podcast of the Rebels for Christ Campus Ministry. The college campus is a world of competing stories vying for students' attention and allegiance. The goal of this podcast is to orient students towards Christ in this brave new world so that we can bring about a revolution of redemption on the University of Mississippi and Northwest Community College campuses. I'm Ben Brinkerhoff, and this is the Christian in the Campus podcast. I had two campus ministers in my college experience, my dad, Jim Brinkerhoff, and Micah Cobb. Last week, you got to hear from Micah about what it means to be a Christian on a college campus, and today you'll get to hear from my dad. For those of you who do not know, my dad died in December of 2013 when I was a sophomore at Auburn University. Though I am unable to interview him, each fall he started off the semester with a lesson intended to prepare new students for the college campus and returning students for the fresh academic year. This podcast is a recording of his lesson from the beginning of the 2013 fall semester. He attempts to orient students towards Christ by forcing them to grapple with the question, in a world defined by 280 characters or less, how is Jesus ever going to get a hearing? The cultural references are slightly dated, but the substance of this question is more profound and true than ever for students on the precipice of their college years. In a world defined by 15-second videos, snaps that disappear after a few seconds, and an app that allows you to skim through photos at a rapid pace, how will Jesus ever get a hearing in your life? If you will be on a college campus this fall, I hope you will find this as helpful and inspiring as I did as a confused and eager sophomore sitting amongst a couple hundred other college students in a circle of red chairs. Jack Dorsey and the, the small clan who created Twitter picked the name for Twitter. This is why they picked it, because the definition of Twitter. And there it is. A short burst of inconsequential information. Okay, so first of all, it's very hit and run. How much can you get accomplished in a hit and run thing? And it is inconsequential. Okay, now, can you define it inconsequential for me? I heard a voice. Doesn't matter. Not essential for your life. uh, Trivial. Unimportant. Okay, now, this is the guy that created the thing, and this was his, this is why he chose it, because it actually captured what they were trying to accomplish when they started Twitter. Of course, I would argue that it probably has grown and created a life of its own beyond what he thought. And he's really rich because of it. I think that's interesting. Now, they've actually done some research analyzing the nature of all these millions and millions and up to billions of queries and interactions on Twitter. Now, I don't know if you can read this. I think you can see it for the most part. It gives you the pie chart. Now, just take a look at it real quick. This is done by a legitimate firm. Uh, I think it's in San Antonio. Now, What's the largest slice of the pie? Pointless babble. By the way, that's quite in keeping with the idea of Twitter. And by the way, I think I could probably argue some value in this. I mean, in all of this, you know, pointless babble, you know, there's kind of a serendipity to, to this. That is, as you're tripping along in all this massive information, you actually, by fortune, skip, uh, stumble onto something that's valuable and uh, brings some sense of joy information that you want in the process. That's good. Next largest slice is 
Conversation. Conversation good? Okay. It's interaction. Just keep up with my friends. and But, you know, sometimes it belongs to both. I'm not sure which one of this belongs. By the way, I am at Walmart. You wanted to know that, didn't you? I'm baking cookies right now. Of course, if you really care about my life, you, you should want to know this about me. I am sitting down and watching The Hobbit tonight. I'm even telling you what my future is. So I don't know if that's conversation or if that's pointless babble. Um, but, you know, there's some value. Like, you know, the news. Okay, spam, it doesn't, you know, that's out. Self-promotion. Uh, uh, and then you have like 8.7% of pass-along values. There's kind of your news and things going on, but it's not always trustworthy because sometimes Oprah's dead and she's not, you know, things like that, okay? <laughs> so you get the idea. Now let me, let me just say a, just a few things because I'm still in the vehicle uh, driving this thing. But I just want you to think because I'm actually doing what I'm going to talk to you about with you. Um, if I were to say where are the drawbacks, I'd say, one, it, it, is, it is replacing substance. It is actually altering who you are, depending on how much you depend to define yourself through it. Um, it's nibbling away at your attention span. Short burst, and that's all you'll take. And it's training you to think that that's how it works, even getting to know people. Um, it reduces life to snippets. Maybe another way of putting it. You know, the question I keep asking myself, is it the, the tail wagging the dog or is it the dog wagging the tail? Uh, interpreted. Um, do we attract ourselves to and create the idea of, uh, of Twitter because it's simply a reflection of our inner person? Or... Is it a matter that in interacting and engaging this social media, it's actually molding and changing us? You see? And I would argue, well, both. It reflects us. It is a social commentary, but it also, by its very engagement, depending how much you're depending on it and how, you know, it's, it's an aggressive distraction. I mean, it's not ambient. And when it, uh, your phone buzzes right now, you're already picking out. Some of you have already done it tonight and looked at your phone. It immediately calls from the response from you. And you're already being trained. We are a nation of Pavlov's dogs. Well, just look it up. <laughs> well, we can be. Depends on what kind of discipline we bring to it. Um, and the question I keep thinking uh, to myself when I look at the idea of replacing the substance of our life and altering who I am and the effect it's having upon us, you know. Um, obviously, in my microcosm, I think a culture that's defined, by the way, how will Jesus ever get a hearing? Through snippets? That's our problem. Isn't it? Can you trans... By the way, Jesus has a, 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 a Twitter account. You seen it? He 
is no follower, or he follows nobody. Of course, I've told you, you don't follow anybody, but you have everyone following you, you're very arrogant. That's what I was told in Twitter language. Second thing that I, 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 I think the potential for, and I just want you to think for a minute, it displaces, and you got, you got this, true relationships. But in a generation that's never known anything other than Twitter and social media, do you even know what the difference is? I'm going to tell you, eavesdropping does not uh, define a good relationship. Someone just defined it as, you know, 21st century stalking, and you can do it by permission. You know, what do we mean by this? Um, there are those that are arguing that it's eroding the very characteristics that make us human. And part of that dynamic is we are social beings. And by the way, if you understand and accept the idea that God made us, God made you that way. There's a reason that even drew you to this room tonight, regardless whether you believe in God or not, whether you realize it or not. So it's redefining intimacy. It's substituting for potentially real conversation. I was talking about someone that this is for free. Um, uh, communication models. And when you're sitting there talking to someone and the communication process, the majority of what is communicated from one person to another is take, takes place how? It's the nonverbal. 80% is nonverbal. Now, what's taking place on Twitter? 20%. And of course, you guys got some interesting ways of kind of, you know, tweaking so you get some nonverbal language inside of it. But still, nonetheless, it is radically handicapped. You with me? That is not a conversation. Did you think it was? No. Meg Walzer and her, her uh, one of her novels called *The Uncoupling*. Very interesting. Um, she uh, has this little social commentary inside of her novel. The generation that had information but no context, butter but no bread, craving. I want. I want but no longing. There's, there's no, nothing to purposefully define the cravings. You get the idea? So I think, you know, there's great value here, but there's, it's like, if I really examine the process and my interaction with it, there could be some really serious potential problems with this. Well, I put that up there so that you can know what it is so you can follow me tomorrow. <laughs> it's 35 now, not 34, by the way. I feel better as a human being today as I did yesterday. I'm very arrogant because I only have eight, only, I'm only following eight people. I was trying to save space. How do you say a lot and a little? Well, you just don't use any punctuation or anything. <laughs> By the way, that's part of my social commentary. 
Devo tomorrow night did this yesterday. The unexamined life is not worth living. Socrates, by way of Twitter. Well, we've been to Twitter. Let's go to Socrates. And by the way, I want to retweet him. I feel even better when you retweet what I put on Twitter. I'm not sure I had that experience yet, though. Go back and look. I'm not sure how I would know if someone retweeted me. How do you find out if someone retweeted you? See? My daughter. <laughs> uh, all right. We're in good shape. Socrates. Socrates, uh, obviously, if you know nothing else, you know that he was a well known Greek philosopher back in the 5th century B.C. Some of you probably might know some of his story. So before I retweet his quote, I want you to understand why he said it. By the way, if you ever got an email from me, what's on the bottom of it? Well, it's this. I'm going to explain to you why it's on there. Um... He was, if you will, a social conscience and a social critic of Greece in his day. And he hovered, of course, specifically in the land of wisdom, Athens. And um, he had many followers. One of those is the very famous Plato. That's how we know that what he actually believed, because he didn't write about it, his followers wrote about him, and Plato was one of the major ones, in the book, uh, his work, The Apology, which is well worth reading, by the way. And he was nicknamed the gadfly, like the horsefly, because he would sting the horse of the social conscience into action. And he did this through inquiry. Um... He challenged the people around him. And his goal was to reveal to them that they were not so wise as they thought they were. Here they were in the land of knowledge and wisdom. And he went around, and by the time he got to talk to them, he tried to help people. You don't know as much as you think you do. In other words, learning begins with humility. And he was right. In a land where everyone thought, oh, they had their act together. And they really didn't. They were just arrogant. And he did this by calling, helping people to call what they actually believed into question in order to make people just stop and just think for a few minutes. He believed that the truly wise person is the one who knows his own ignorance. And thus his famous statement that he repeated over and over, I only know that I don't know. Now he knew really quite a few things. And he was obviously very intelligent. But you get the idea. Again, he understood the pursuit of learning starts with humility. Now, of course, the interesting thing is it got him in trouble. His purpose, though, if you really read him, is this. It was... He wanted people to pursue a life of virtue. 
Good thing. He believed that we should pursue integrity, honesty, thoughtfulness, pursuit of personal and spiritual growth as a result, but that there were no shortcuts to it. But you had to actually stop and think every now and then, rather than just get engaged in all the frenzy and just get on with it and do stuff. And he believed in something about human beings, which, if you believe that God created you, this is built into this. That we as human beings have the ability to transcend our instincts and our desires and actually pursue consciously choices that are ethical. Now, they said he got him in a lot of trouble. So he not only pursued it as a person, but he also felt obligated because he loved the people of Athens to help them move that direction too. And there was a lot of corruption at this time. You see? And so in 399 B.C., they arrested him and put him under trial. And he was charged with two things. Not endorsing the state religion and by corrupting the minds of youth by getting them to think for themselves a little bit. You're getting a little bit warmer why I like this quote, why it means something to me. After all was said and done, he was sentenced to one of two options. Exile, which you'd understand was paramount to him giving up his life of pursuit of not only personally but socially engaging a life of virtue. <coughs> Zip it and go into isolation. Or to drink poison and die. And he chose, this one point everyone knows, what did he choose? He chose death. He drank poison with hemlock in it. And you ask the question, why? Well, that's where, where the retweet comes in. That's where the quote comes in. It was in that context he said this. The unexamined life is not worth living. Now, I want you to notice what he didn't say. He didn't say the unexamined life was less meaningful. That's not what he says. He's not saying that, that, that the examined life is better than living an unexamined life. He doesn't say that. What he says is the unexamined life is not worth living. So let me just, get, just pause just a second and think about that right now. Before all the frenzy begins. What do you think he meant when he said this? Stop and think as you freeze frame this moment. Classes begin tomorrow. And I was, and I'm, and I'm being honest with you. You know, I could go back in a thousand different directions with this thing. But I'm trying to think, what is your greatest need right now? I mean, really, your greatest need. You know, I'm not talking about all the cravings. I'm talking about the longings. You with me? 
When I entered Auburn University, it was back in 1975. Um, I walked that same corridor of that picture. That's the concourse. And by the way, except for some cosmetic changes, it hasn't changed much. And not really much has changed about the nature of fall and the beginning of the frenzy. Very similar. Um, In all honesty, when I entered this camp, because I also came from New Jersey, and that that created some culture shock. Um, That you know, most of you are probably from the southeast, most of you are probably from Alabama, so not of that. But there's still some culture shock going on here, by the way, with you. You'll realize that in a year or so, or maybe next semester. You're like, whew, that was something. But I, in all honesty, I felt intimidated because it was all so unfamiliar. Um, I felt uh, kind of overwhelmed. I was pulled a thousand directions. You feel that way right now? I mean, just honestly. Um, I felt also in the chemistry of it, excited because it was like, it was like someone threw uh, uh, this all-you-can-eat buffet and every item that looks great. And so I just got involved in this feeding frenzy. I just started just cramming as much in as I could because I didn't want to miss out on anything. And I also was adrift from God. So you kind of pull that together. So I thought, what was my greatest need? And I'll tell you, this is not what I got. I probably, but I'll also be, make me, me qualify. I wasn't open to this anyway, so it probably didn't really matter. But what I really needed was to pause and think. And part of that thinking was someone maybe pointing the right direction for me. I didn't want them thinking for me. You're in college now. That's over with. There's no spoon feeding in college. You're going to have to work this out on your own. And it's the time forward. And it's real serious on every level, socially, academically, spiritually, relationally. But it would have helped. And so I'm thinking if you're like me, um, that is, you feel a bit intimidated and feel well familiarity. You feel pulled a thousand directions. You're kind of already, maybe already engaging in this feeding frenzy. And maybe you too are like me. You're kind of come in adrift from God. Of course, I would have never shown up in a place like this. So the fact you're here shall be at least Jesus maybe has some leverage in your life. And I'm really thankful for that. But even if that's not true, I'm really, really glad you're here. Just stick around. But I think, what do you need right now? Well, it's really what we've been doing. Pause. We're at Devo. If you thought this was just another thing on your calendar and the frenzy of activities so you don't miss anything, I want to, I want to alter your perceptions of this. 
the reason I'm glad you're here is because it's going to give you a few seconds to actually stop and pause and think a little bit. Breathe a sigh of relief. Maybe just reflect thoughtfully for just a few moments in the quietness of the room. I think that's your greatest need right now. And maybe allow me just to point. If you know me, and I don't care if it frustrates you, I will not spoon feed you. In fact, I will challenge what you think should be spoon fed so that you actually stop to think about it. Because you can't engage this world as a believer unless you've done this. So it's really a good thing. I'm not trying to be a gadfly, but somehow we've got to maybe stop and think. So I just want to give you two questions. I understand I'm picking up next week and we're going to further. Just hopefully it'll leave itself with an invitation for you to want to come back and just think a little bit further. You're going to need this more next week than you do this week. Classes start tomorrow. I'm telling you, it's true. First question. This is just for you to reflect on. I want you to stop and think right now. How important is Jesus to you? Now, some of you, you're so snippet, you've already tuned out. You're struggling with this. You can't even get to this point. And you're going to have to work on this one. Unless you want to live a life, the unexamined life is just not worth living. It depends on what you want. It's what you want out of life. And I think it's rather a substantial question because God has given us eternal life. That's not just longevity of life. It's a quality of life. And this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. It didn't say a belief system. It says a life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. So in a room of predominantly those who ID themselves as believers in Jesus Christ. Yeah, but how important is he to you right now before the feeding frenzy begins? Second question, last one. Is do you wish simply to claim to be a Christian or do you long to be Christian? The unexamined life is not worth living. And Jesus, who was the perfect human being, who actually showed us 
an actual way of life that we can live. He modeled it for us. He invites us into it. Create an image of God. We can reflect that light. We can actually find this thing and possess it. He says, if any of you wants to be my followers, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. It's not done in snippets. It's not done just through words on the social internet world encounter asking something holistic from you didn't it if you try to hang on to your life you'll lose it but if you give up your life Jesus says for my sake you will find it So Jesus has his own questions of inquiry. And we say these so clinically, so glibly. He's asking you, do you believe that the unexamined life is not worth living? And what do you benefit? What do you benefit? If you gain the whole world but you lose your own soul. Is anything worth more than your soul? 